Today our reading is from Colossians chapter 4, from verse 2. It's in Church Bibles on page 1184. Page 1184. Chapter 4, verse 2. Devote yourself to pray, being watchful and thankful. And pray for us, too, that God may open the door for our message, so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ, for which I am in chains. Pray that I may Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Be wise and of in way you act towards outsiders. Make the most of the opportunity. Make the most of the opportunity. Uh, let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Well, of uh, all the messages in this Above Bar DNA series, I think this final one, devoted to prayer, has the greatest potential to arouse feelings of guilt and failure. As some of you may have already been feeling guilty before I even open my mouth, based purely on the title, because you see a title like this and, and you think, well, I'm not really at all devoted to prayer, or not nearly as devoted as I ought to be, and uh, guilt grips you. So let me say at the outset that if by the end of this message you are left feeling hopeless, condemned, full of shame because you think your prayer life is completely useless, uh, I have failed as a preacher. Now to be clear, I'm not saying it's a sackable offence. Uh, please don't. I was only commissioned as uh, the minister here last uh, Saturday, so it would be a bit early to get rid of me, I think. But if it were a sackable offence for, uh, for preachers to make Christians feel guilty about their prayer lives... Well, I think there would be a lot of unemployed preachers, pastors, and ministers, wouldn't there? Because that is exactly what so much teaching on prayer tends to do. It makes us feel inadequate. Not prayer warriors, but prayer failures. But that is tragic. Because I don't think Paul, in writing these words to fairly new believers in Colossae, I don't think his aim is to stimulate feelings of guilt, shame, or condemnation. Yes, he wants to challenge us, but I'm convinced his aim actually is to enthuse us, energize us, excite us by the potential of a life devoted to prayer, or indeed of a whole church devoted to prayer. So let's get into this little passage, which the NIV heads up, uh, rather unhelpfully in this case, further instructions. Uh, if anyone here is new to reading the Bible, it's useful to know that these headings in bold are not the inspired breathed out word of God. They're, they're attempts by the translators and the editors to try and summarize different sections to help us in our understanding. But I don't know quite what happened here, whether maybe it was late on a Friday evening and they were all desperate to get home. Uh, so the editors looked around the table and someone said, well, look, should we just go for further instructions for this paragraph? And everybody sort of nodded their head and off they went for the weekend. Great, have a good time. Now, in all seriousness, I am not a scholar and I know that minds far brighter than mine make these kinds of decisions. But I think many of us, if we were to spend just a few moments prayerfully reflecting on these verses, I think we'd recognize that this is not merely a random list of further instructions. No, it's way more thrilling than that. So here's my little attempt at a summary. Devotion to prayer is the master key to unlock the advance of the gospel. Devotion to prayer is the master key to unlock the advance of the gospel. 
Uh, good news today, I have only two points. Less good news, I do have a few sub-points. But don't worry, I'm still aiming at 25 minutes. First from our passage, devote yourselves to prayer. Verse 2, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. Uh, one of our values here at Above Bar Church is God-dependent, which is a great value and biblically solid. And in fact, it's true for every single person here, everyone who may be uh, listening to this uh, afterwards uh, uh, through the podcast, whether you consider yourself to be a believer or not. You and I are 100% dependent on God, even though some of us may not realize that. Even my very next breath depends on God and his goodness continuing to sustain me with his breath of life. Devoting ourselves to prayer is quite different because that speaks of determined activity. The Greek word used here could be translated be intently engaged in, or the ESV puts it continue steadfastly. In other words, rather like clothing ourselves with humility that we were thinking about three Sundays ago, so also devotion to prayer will not simply happen to us. It requires commitment and effort on my part. And this is important because devotion to prayer is the means by which we demonstrate to our loving Father in heaven that we know how completely and utterly dependent we are on him for everything. Dependent for all things, at all times, in all circumstances. Uh, those of us who are blessed to have uh, salaries or state benefits or student grants or gifts from supporters paid into our accounts, those are all God's provision. Uh, the week before last, we had a staff team away day. And in one session, we took some time to consider what kinds of things keep us as Christians from devoting ourselves to prayer. There were various answers from the team. The uh, busyness of life and uh, lack of time self-reliance, lack of tangible answers to prayer, devotion to other things or to other people. Uh, one member of staff who will remain nameless confessed that he'd sometimes missed opportunities to pray because he'd been watching Arsenal play football. Shocking. But you know, as I've reflected on those discussions, I've reached two important conclusions. First, I don't think lack of time is the key issue. And I say that because unlike many of you here, none of my time is taken up loving a spouse or bringing up children. That's because I have, don't have them, by the way, not because I don't love them, just in case you were wondering. Uh, nor do I have elderly parents to look after. I have control of my calendar and a large measure of freedom to decide before God every day how I use my time. Plus, as a minister of the gospel, I'm effectively paid to pray. It's a big part of my job. In short, I have loads of time to pray. Number one struggle that I face every day? The battle to devote myself to prayer. And I suspect many of you, if you're honest with yourselves, you know that time is not really the main issue. Because we devote ourselves, don't we, to the things or people that we consider of first importance, of greatest value, of highest priority. I just mentioned a, a battle to devote myself to prayer, which links into my second conclusion as I've reflected on why it's so hard, even for me as a gospel minister, to devote myself to prayer. And I'm convinced that it's because, to quote an old hymn, Satan trembles when he sees the weakest saint, that is Christian, upon their knees. You see, our enemy, the devil, understands way more than we do the awesome divine power that is unleashed through humble earnest prayer. 
power to tear down his strongholds in the world and in people's lives and to advance the kingdom of Jesus. And so knowing the power of prayer, surely a great strategy for the enemy of God and his people would be to do everything possible to keep Christians from praying, wouldn't it? Oh, keep us busy, keep us active, keep us devoted to the program and to all our other commitments and passions. Indeed, stir up devotion in our hearts to anything else, to everything else, just as long as it's not prayer. Because, brothers and sisters, our enemy, the devil, knows that earnest prayer is the master key to unlock the powerful advance of the gospel in the lives of unbelievers. Uh, if you've never read the Screw Tape Letters by C.S. Lewis, I uh, urge you to do so. It's a great book. It's pure fiction, but it is full of spiritual insight about Satan and his schemes. Uh, the character Screw Tape is a high-ranking demon. And he's writing letters to Wormwood, his uh, rather incompetent nephew, who's like a, an apprentice demon, learning the work of demonology, if you like. And this junior tempter is trying to corrupt the soul of what they call the patient, a Christian seeking to walk more closely with Jesus. And in letter four, Screwtape gives this simple advice to his nephew. The best thing, where it is possible, is to keep the patient from the serious intention of praying altogether. Just stop him praying. And this is one reason why Paul urges believers here to be watchful as we seek to devote ourselves to prayer. He's echoing the words of Jesus uh, to his sleepy disciples in the Garden of Gethsemane as they struggle to stay awake and support him in his hour of great need. Watch and pray, he says, so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And you know, maybe one of the greatest temptations we face as Christians, without often even realizing it, is the temptation not to pray. So don't be surprised if when you decide to devote some moments to prayer, don't be surprised if you suddenly feel a wave of tiredness wash over you. Don't be surprised if you feel an unexpected urge to suddenly buy something online, or check something online, or check your social media, or reply to an email. Or if your phone rings or pings or chaos kicks off with the kids. Don't be surprised if your mind is suddenly full of lustful or angry or bitter or envious thoughts. Don't be surprised if you suddenly feel like a snack, even though seconds before you weren't hungry at all. Was that only unique to me? Before staff prayers this week, somebody mentioned that there was banana cake behind the welcome desk waiting for us just before we prayed. And so as I set myself to pray, all I could think about was that banana cake that was waiting for me to eat it. And it really distracted me. By grace, I was able to resist. I did wait until we prayed, but I was rushing my prayer somewhat, no doubt about it, just to get to the banana cake. You know, each time you and I set our hearts to pray, we enter into a spiritual battle. So we need to be alert. Watch and pray. Be watchful. Now, if you can relate to those kinds of distractions and temptations or others that may be personal to you, here's a bit of practical advice. First, switch off your phone. Or if you genuinely use it to help you pray, switch on the do not disturb setting if it has one. And then secondly, a simple prayer like this may be a good way to start. Father, I come in the name of Jesus to devote myself to prayer Please deliver me from every distraction, every temptation, and enable me to be clear-minded and self-controlled so that I can pray. 
Amen. A prayer like that just helps set the scene and God will help you and enable you to be more focused than otherwise you would be. We're also to be thankful, writes Paul. Our Father in heaven loves thankful prayers. Children who don't only ever ask for things, but who delight in their loving Father and remember to thank him too. Thank him for who he is and all that he's done in sending Jesus to us. We've been singing about that this evening. Thank him for all the good things with which he blesses us that so often we can take for granted. Forgiveness of sins, his faithful love, food, shelter, warmth, clothing, hot water, all these things that many people around the world don't have and we often take for granted. Thanking him for answered prayers as well as we watch and wait perhaps for those that we're still waiting for answers to. But more specifically in the context of our passage, Paul wants us to be watchful and thankful for gospel opportunities and to make those a major focus of our prayers. And so secondly, verses 3 to 6, pray with purpose. Pray with purpose. Uh, One of the reasons I think we Christians give up praying so easily is because our prayers of request, and that is the focus of this passage, there, there are other types of prayer of course, but our requests often tend to have the wrong focus and emphasis. That is, they can be way too centered on me. So I pray only about my life, my family, my situation, my problems, my needs, and so on. Now, now please don't misunderstand me here. Jesus teaches us to ask our Father in heaven for our daily needs. It's an important way that we demonstrate our God dependence. But part of the process of growing and maturing as a Christian is that I learn to widen the scope of my praying. Uh, Paul is a great example of this. He he does ask people to pray for him, as he does here, you notice in verse 3, and pray for us too. But even then, his request has a clear gospel focus. Because notice at the end of verse 3, Paul is in chains. Now, I don't know about you, but if that were me, one of the first things I'd be praying for is, Lord, please set me free from these chains. But not Paul. You see, he has a completely different agenda. As we'll see, his prayers are driven by gospel concerns rather than by his own personal comfort. I remember a few years ago reading a great book on prayer by Don Carson called uh, Praying with Paul, another one to get hold of if you can. It looks at the prayers and the reported prayers of Paul in his various letters, and this is a paraphrase rather than a direct quote, but Don Carson makes the point that the focus of our prayers tends to reflect the passions of our hearts. It's an interesting observation, isn't it? The focus of our prayers tends to reflect the passions of our hearts. So you see, if my prayers are always and only me-focused, or only ever about material and physical needs, well, it's probably a sign that I've become rather self-obsessed, or have lost sight of gospel priorities. Well, let's look then at Paul's prayer priorities in verses 3 to 6. We'll look at each quite briefly, and I'll then wrap up with some practical suggestions that I think might help us to become increasingly devoted to prayer. So notice first how Paul asked God to open a door for the gospel. Verse 3, and pray for us too, praying what? That God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Now the chains Paul refers to here are most likely the chains of his house arrest in Rome, described back in Acts 28 verse 16. We're told there that Paul was allowed to live by himself with a soldier to guard him. But rather than this being a problem to him or something he desperately wants to be free from, Paul sets this example of being watchful and thankful. 
Because clearly he sees this as a great gospel opportunity. Yes, Paul is chained to a Roman soldier, and presumably that would have been on a shift basis with a changing of the guard every so often. But think about it. Who is the real prisoner here? I mean, Paul has quite literally a captive audience, doesn't he? This is Paul the preacher, one of the greatest preachers we've ever known. And so every few hours, or whatever the frequency was, off goes another Roman soldier back to his barracks, having just spent hours chained to Paul, hearing about the mystery of Christ. You can imagine some of them might have been really glad that it was changing of the guard time. And notice Paul is is talking about the mystery of Christ to these soldiers. And when you read mystery in the Bible, it's important to not think Sherlock Holmes, murder mystery, whodunit type thing. Uh, Bible words have Bible meanings. And the mystery of Christ was previously hidden, that is not fully explained or clear in the Old Testament, but has now been revealed. So the mystery has been solved by God in the New Testament, we could say. And what is this mystery of Christ? Well, if you flip back to chapter 1, verse 27... Paul has already explained it in this letter. Chapter 1, verse 27. God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is what? Christ in you, the hope of glory. And so every Roman soldier chained to Paul during his house arrest is chained to a man in whom the Spirit of Jesus is living and through whom he wants to speak and reveal himself as the saviour of the world, the hope of glory. And you know, if you are trusting in Jesus for forgiveness of sins and eternal life, when you go into work tomorrow, or school, or college, or uni, or out with your friends, or meet with your neighbours, or you spend time with unbelieving family members, you go back to your student residence tonight, the people around you are getting intimate exposure to Jesus the hope of glory, who permanently lives in you. Please just reflect on that amazing reality for a moment. If you're away from home, Christ is not only with you, but he's in you. He's come with you. The hope of glory. And that is what your friends, family, carers, fellow students, neighbors, colleagues are going to encounter tomorrow if you are a disciple of Jesus. Now, they may not be chained to you, even if some of you may feel chained to a desk tomorrow, wherever you work, but they are, in a sense, your captive audience. And God wants you and me to proclaim the mystery of Christ. However, here's a little word of encouragement. Before we attempt to speak to unbelievers about the Lord Jesus, let's first make sure that we speak to the Lord Jesus about unbelievers Because prayer is the master key to unlock the advance of the gospel. So let's be praying for one another this coming week, for God to open a door into people's hearts and for the Holy Spirit to give us courage and boldness to share the good news about Jesus. And pray for us too, for for Chris Webb, our other minister, and myself, and for all our preachers and teachers here at Above Bar, and for our sent mission partners around the world, that God would open a door for our message as we have opportunities this week. You know, it's such a simple prayer. Lord, please open a door for the gospel. Open a door into that person's heart for the gospel. It takes a matter of seconds to pray. You can even pray it silently as you walk along the street, passing countless people who do not know Jesus. But if it is prayed from your heart, it is dynamite. 
Now, the door God opens may not necessarily be one that you walk through yourself. Your prayer may well be the key that opens a door into that person's heart for one of their colleagues to walk through later that day when they're back at their desk or wherever they are. Or for a street pastor to walk through later that night as the homeless person that you you prayed for, maybe gave a sandwich to, settles into their cardboard home on the street. Secondly, Paul requests prayer for the clear proclamation of the gospel. Verse 4, pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. I don't know if you've ever had that experience of trying to share your faith or explain some truth about God, and you get all tongue-tied, you trip over your words, and and well, you just know, oh dear, that was not at all clear. What a load of nonsense I just spoke. Now, of course, God can work with our, our, our sort of feeble and imperfect efforts. Of course he can. But devotion to prayer will bring increasing clarity praying for yourself and praying for others, that whenever we share the good news about Jesus, the Holy Spirit will enable us to proclaim it clearly, as we should. It's the same with preaching. I don't know if you ever think after a Sunday message here, uh, well, I, I didn't really have a clue what the preacher was on about tonight. Hopefully that's not going to be your experience this evening. Uh, but you, know, you, you come away and think, well, it just didn't make sense to me at all. What, what was he on about? Well, my first question would be, Well, were you praying this week that the preacher would prepare a clear message? Did you pray today that the preacher would speak clearly? Did the preacher themselves ask God for an ability to speak clearly? Prayer is the master key to unlock clear gospel proclamation. Thirdly, we should pray, verse 5, for wise living to showcase the gospel Now, prayer is not explicitly mentioned in verses 5 and 6, but but I believe it's implied. I don't see this as a new thought, but more of a continuation of the theme of how the gospel advances. And clear proclamation and preaching need to be backed up by wise and godly living, for which, of course, we are all utterly God-dependent. And so surely verse 5 needs to be turned into a prayer. Father, please help me. Please help us. Wherever we go today, wherever, whoever we might meet, help us to be wise in the way that we act towards outsiders and to make the most of every opportunity. Because, you know, the reality is that people will judge Jesus largely based on the behavior of Christians that they know. Now, that is a real challenge to us, isn't it? Uh, notice we don't have to make the opportunity. It's not about trying to force the conversation in unnatural, uncomfortable ways. No, we have to watch for the opportunities that God himself will provide. And You see, when we act wisely towards outsiders, when we demonstrate the fruit of the Spirit in our daily lives, when we perform random acts of kindness and show undeserved love to other people, people will begin to sit up and take notes. They'll see that we've been with Jesus. They may start to recognize Jesus in us. They may eventually ask a reason for the hope that we have or the way that we live. And there is your opportunity, your God-given opportunity. And then finally, verse 6, we're to pray for grace-filled conversation seasoned with the gospel. Now again, verse 6 is surely a continuation of the same theme. We pray for God to open a door for the message about Jesus. We pray for clarity in sharing the message. We pray for wisdom to showcase the gospel so that people see the beauty of Jesus and are open to hearing the good news about him. Then verse 6, let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. 
In other words, we're not to badger people with the gospel. Please don't be one of those annoying Christians who just quotes Bible verses at everyone in a harsh, contemning way, looking down on unbelievers in judgment, or who preaches at people but never thinks to ask them questions about what they believe or to show concern for their lives. Now, the way to win people for Jesus is to pray for the divine ability to chat graciously, kindly, and lovingly with unbelievers, to listen to their questions, and in answering them, just to sprinkle some gospel seasoning here and there. We see that very approach from Jesus as he shares the gospel with the woman at the well in John chapter 4. That is probably one of the best examples of personal evangelism in the whole of the New Testament. Do take a read of that later. Well, let me finish with five practical suggestions to help us grow in our devotion to prayer. Whether you're pretty much prayerless right now or you're on the road to growing devotion, I hope these tips might be of help to you and to us as a church. Just a few lines on each. Firstly, plan to pray. Prayer does not generally just happen. And remember, Satan and our own sinful natures will be working very hard to prevent it from happening. So plan when and where you're going to pray each day. Schedule it. Prioritize it. If necessary, set an alarm for it. You may be a more impulsive person. And that's okay if you're able then to pray and be devoted to prayer. But if not, maybe scheduling and planning is good. You know, after listening to God's word, there is no more important thing that you can do each day than pray. Secondly, devotion to prayer does not have to mean hours in prayer. Jesus warns us against vain repetition, babbling, thinking will be heard because of many words. Devotion to prayer can be demonstrated in short, heartfelt prayers throughout the day. If you're a parent looking after young children or you're the the main carer for somebody else, that may well be the only way you can pray for this season of your life. And let me say, God understands that. You don't need to feel guilty about that. Thirdly, pray with others. Not only is it a great help in overcoming distractions and a wandering mind, but also some of my most significant answers to prayer have come when I've prayed with other people. And that's because it comes with a promise. Truly I tell you, says Jesus, if two of you agree on earth about anything you ask, it will be done for you by my Father in heaven. So pray in a home group. Form a prayer triplet. Ask someone tonight, someone here, to pray with you or for you. Maybe join us tomorrow at 8 p.m. for our Zoom prayer meeting. Fourthly, ask Jesus to teach you to pray. It's very simple, but it's what the first disciples did. It's what I've been doing for the last few years. I still feel I'm on module one, unit one, in Jesus' school of prayer. But I certainly have seen the Lord beginning to cultivate in my heart a growing sense of dependence on him and an increasing desire to devote myself to prayer and to devote less time to other things. And that brings me to the final one. How about reducing devotion to something else in order to increase devotion to prayer? Now, I am not planning anytime soon to stop my devotion to supporting Arsenal. They are my team. I will continue to devote myself to them. But, you know, I am praying for God's help to watch less Netflix box sets as my default way of winding down at the end of a long day of ministry. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, says Jesus, and I will give you rest. I think my tendency sometimes is to rest in Netflix rather than in Jesus. Well, how about you? 
What is there of little or no eternal value that you could do less of this coming term, this coming year, in order to devote more time to prayer? It is, after all, the master key to unlock the advance of the gospel.